Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 10. We're continuing our series on what did Jesus say about himself? How did he define himself? How did he explain himself? Because if you're going to get to know somebody, if you're going to follow after somebody, you need to ask them to, to tell you about themselves. Don't ask that person over there. Don't ask you know that person over here. But ask them, what did they say? And so there goes my notes. Good. All right. But uh, John chapter... John chapter 10, verse 7 says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Where do you find life, and what does life mean to you? What does living life to the fullest look like? In college, you guys are always looking for that sense of what gives life meaning and purpose. But sometimes the best way to explain that is sometimes by just asking, what, where do you look to for validation in your life? Where do you look to for validation? Maybe in your grades, and so I'm a smart guy, I'm, you know, I'm intelligent, so, and so I'm going to look to that. Maybe it's in that relationship, the affirmation of the opposite sex, like I'm pretty, I'm beautiful because I get the attention of the other person. Maybe it's, maybe it's from family members, friends, maybe it's from that hobby. I hate just being alone and my own thoughts just scare me and what I have to face, all the problems and the hurts and the wounds of my life, so I just fill my life with all the social media and all of the distractions and all the other things. What gives your life value? What, where do you find validation in your life? Maybe said another way is, what if you lost it would ruin you? What do you fear? What fills your heart with anxiety and fear at the fear of losing it? When suddenly you have that job uh, opportunity and you start taking, doing interviews for internships, are you full with anxiety and fear because, man, if I don't get this internship, I'm out? Like, Maybe that career path, if I don't get into that right master's program, then who am I anymore, right? What fills you with fear often will tell you a little bit of what you're living for and where are you looking for validation. But Jesus here, he's saying, hey, I am this place. I am the one that's, I want to validate you. I want to be the one that's giving you life. And when he actually says life to the fullest, that that word, there is actually the only time in the Greek that John uses that word, um, and it's and it's an abundance. It's a super abundance. It's overflowing. And so there's often this kind of perception in in the world that says you can have a horrible life following faith, but it has a sense of destiny and purpose and something good, I guess. Or you can have a meaningful life, a, a fun-filled life, a, a life of, of, of enjoyment and satisfaction and significance. And you know, you can't, 
either one of those, but you have to choose, either a, a faith-filled life or a life of, of joy and purpose. And yet Jesus here, he comes into the scene, because that kind of was the scene. That was kind of, you know, this, the religious leaders of Jesus' time were, were people that were constantly berating people and constantly telling them, hey, this, you got to do more rules. You got to follow more you know, restrictions. And you have, you know, we saw what you did, you know, last, you know, Saturday. And we're like, you know, we're keeping an account. And so there was this life sucking out of, out of their faith through, through the leadership of following after Jesus or following after Yahweh. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, I, I'm calling you to have life the fullest, to have a meaningful life and a faith that it has not this boring, dissatisfied, but super abundant, overflowing, beyond what you could comprehend and understand. But Jesus here, he, he contrasts himself as the good shepherd from these four other characters in this, this section that we were reading. And so I want to just spend a few minutes and kind of look at each one of these characters and how Jesus, as the good shepherd, contrasts himself from the four characters in our story tonight. And so, so the first one is this, the shepherd versus the thieves. The shepherd versus the thieves. At that time when Jesus was talking, when he talks about those who steal um, and the thieves that rob and take, destroy, that at that time he was, he was in a time in Jewish history and really world history where there was all kinds of revolts and revolutions and, and of course, Rome had conquered much of the known world at the time and the Jews wanted out. And so Jesus coming on the scene and proclaiming his Messiahship was not in itself unique. There was all kinds of, of Messiahs that came out before Jesus and after Jesus that proclaimed, hey, I'm the Messiah, or other people said, hey, we think he's the Messiah. And, and the, the trick, though, the problem was, is they would oftentimes start these revolutions. They would often say, we know the way to freedom, to life, to fulfillment, but it was through death and destruction. It was, it was through the sword. It was through dis- destroying the world around them. And, and oftentimes, many people died as a result. Many people, there was all these uprisings that were squashed. And, squ- and because of that, Jesus is saying, hey, they, all these other things, there's things in your life that you look to and you say, this will give me life. This will give me purpose. This will give me joy. But when you start to pursue it, you start to realize actually it, it left you wanting. In fact, it left you sucking the life out of you. And so some of you guys may be thinking about, you know, I thought that relationship was it, so much potential, so much hope. I, that was going to be where I was going to find fulfillment. And then when it ended, I just, I don't even, picking up the pieces of my life, right? It's that that I thought those friends really cared about me, but then they started gossiping about me behind my back. There was, there was that career, but it didn't quite go the way I thought. There's things in my life, or other times you got what you, everything you ever dreamed, imagined, and thought, and then you realized, ugh. I think it was Jim Carrey who once said, I wish everybody was a millionaire so they'd realize it wasn't the ultimate end of happiness like everybody thinks it's going to be. The, the idea is like sometimes you get what you want and you're like, is that all? 
And so, so, so many times there's things that, that tempt us to pursue after. They say, follow me. Follow after me. I'm the way to life. But really, they just lead to destruction and despair and death. And so Jesus is contrasting. He's saying, hey, I, I am the one that brings life. There was these people called the zealots at that same time. They were, they were probably some of who Jesus was thinking about. In fact, one of his disciples was a former zealot. This is not a concept that we use today like, oh, he's a zealot. This was a literal where the word comes from. But they were people who, they were Jews. We think of them as radical. They, they would try to, the, any chance they got to murder a Roman, they, they were under oath to really to murder any of, of the legions that were over them. Oftentimes at great expense to their own life or to the lives of the people around them. And so, and so here's Jesus and he's contrasting these false messiahs, these, these zealots that, that were, were following the world's ways. The, the funny thing is, is even though Jesus had this one disciple who was actually a zealot and began to follow Jesus, he also had this tax collector. And actually the zealots were under oath to basically any time they got a chance to kill somebody like a tax collector, somebody they saw as, as, as um, breaking from the Jewish, the Jewish law or, or had basically turned their backs on their own people, they should have murdered them. And here, were these, here was this tax collector and the zealot following after Jesus because they found something more than the way of this world, more than the life offered in this world, more than the death that came by it. And so Jesus here is saying, hey, I am, I am greater than the thieves in this world. I am greater than the robbers in this world. But so often there are going to be people in this world who promise you I am the way to life or opportunities or other things that promise hope for your life, but they come short. But Jesus is saying I am the way to life as it was always meant to be. I had this friend. I had this friend. Yep, nice to see you too. Um, I had this friend that in college we were fraternity brothers, and he was a pledge brother of mine. His name was Matt, and Matt was was one of the most popular guys at the University of Idaho. Uh, he just everybody loved him. He was a homecoming king the, his senior year at the University of Idaho. Yeah, they had that there, but but he was just a super popular guy. I always loved being around him because because I was kind of cool by association. But but nobody ever paid much attention to me. It was just Matt. But Matt. Was, was this guy that everybody loved, but he, he grew up knowing about Jesus, knowing Jesus, even coming into college saying, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. But then he got into this world. He got into, into all these temptations and these other things started vying for his attention. And he suddenly found that he was, he was, he was sucked into this life that he thought was going to be fulfilling and life-giving and all, you know, the whole party scene and all of the girls that he wanted and all of you know, the ambitions that he had and going for like student, you know, president or whatever, like all of these things that he was striving after, all these places where he's finding validation. And his life fell apart. And I remember him in the midst of living out that life, living for all those things, and, and him and I just having these conversations about, Matt, what are you doing? Because he suddenly found his life in shatters. He suddenly found that everything he was aspiring for and getting suddenly wasn't worth everything he thought it was worth. And he was trying to pick up the pieces of his life because he suddenly realized this isn't actually what I thought it was going to be. It's not life, it's death. I was deceived. 
And through our friendship, I was able to help walk him back into that relationship with Jesus. And, and a few years ago, he got married, and he asked me to be his best man. Even though we only had a couple of years where we actually got to, you know, do life together at University of Idaho, but we were always friends over time. But we had Jesus. We had this friendship that was built on something deeper than, than the keg or than the, the girls or than the party or than the events. That there was, that our friendship had life to it because it had something deeper that it was built on. And so does your life have something deeper that it's built on? Are you building it on, on as Jesus would say, shifting sands? Is it going to crumble under you? maybe sooner than you realize. But Jesus says, I am good, and that word good, I'm the good shepherd, is lovely, is attractive. He uses the word kalos, which is this idea, there's different words for good that, that Jesus could have used at the time, but he uses this one that, that hints not just like morally upright, but good as in attractive and desirable and wanted. If you look at Jesus and you say, if you don't see him as attractive, as desirable, as something that you desire in your heart and long for in your life and aspire to in your faith, if he's not something that consumes you, then you aren't really seeing him. You don't really see him as the good shepherd. He's saying, hey, there are thieves that are going to distract you, but I am the actual place where your desire and your attraction should be found, that I am the place where you can follow and there's fulfillment, and there's life, and life abundantly to the greatest superabundance. The second one is the shepherd versus the wolves. The shepherd versus the wolves, and the wolf, they, one of the things that I think is highlighted, of course the wolf is bad, and, and we get that, but one of the things I think is interesting in the way that Jesus articulates this passage is he says they're going to come. When they come. He doesn't say if they come. He doesn't say, hey, like, hey, stick close to me and, and you, know, you won't face wolves. No, he says when they come, because Jesus isn't saying, hey, stick with me and everything externally in your life will just be roses and unicorns and, you know, you know treasures at the end of the rainbow. Like, everything will be great. Like, he's saying, hey, wolves are going to come. Things are going to happen in your life. Struggles are going to face your world. You are going to go through stuff in your life. I think the funny thing about like prosperity preaching is they they get the concept that Jesus is worth it and he is so valuable, but they think he's going to like fix everything externally instead of realizing he doesn't promise everything externally is going to be fine. He says, hey, wolves are going to come. Things are going to happen. And so often when the wolf comes, the sheep scatter. And so the question comes up is, is, is God, is Faith in God, something that you look to, but when what challenges you when you follow after Yahweh? What challenges you when you're following after Jesus? What fills you with fear that leads you away from following the good shepherd? What scatters you from following after him in, his, in your life? What tempts you to scatter from the shepherd's leading? I remember reading a missionary recently talk about he he's just going through a lot of stuff and when life hit him and he was actually ministering in a part of the world where he he had people come to Jesus they were following Jesus and then they were killed for their faith people that he had led into faith and they were being and they were being killed as a result and he was just it just traumatized him it just led him to this place of despair he's like god let me out 
I want out. Send me back to America. I'll make money. I'll send it to missions. I'll do whatever you want. Just get me out of this calling. I don't want this. So the wolves came, and he was tempted to run, to scatter, to flee. But he didn't. The thing that he did is he pressed in to the good shepherd. He pressed in, and he went through this season of pressing in to Jesus and pressing closer to him in the midst of his despair and his and his turmoil and his suffering. He pressed into Jesus. And it was through that that honestly he found that Jesus began to lead him in ways that he never felt and never experienced. And he began to experience ministry in a way that he had never experienced. And eventually he he led one of the greatest church planting movements in that part of the world because he didn't scatter, but he pressed in. And so often there's things that are going to happen in your life. The wolves are going to come, but what do you do? Do you press in to your Savior or do you scatter? I remember when I was, when I was uh, in high school, this is kind of a funny story to use here, but I thought it was, in my mind, it was kind of poignant to the idea. But he, he, when I was in high school, I, I dreamed of, running track in, high, in college. That was kind of this dream I had. And turned out I was pretty good, pretty decent at running. And, um, you know, I, I say that with no pride because it's, you know, you know, a dime a dozen athletes in high school. Yeah, I was good in high school. Woo, okay. But, but I remember going in high school, and I remember the coaches coming up to me. It was my sophomore year, and I remember the coaches coming up to me and saying, Nate, You've got a lot of talent. We could see you running in college. I think what we need to do, because I was really good at the 400-meter dash, which is like the longest sprint. I hate it, but it was like I was good at it. But, but they were like, we need to grow your endurance, and then you'll get better at, at dominating. And so what we're going to have you do is we're going to have you run cross-country this summer. You'll get into the fall. You'll run cross-country in the fall. And then once we get to winter track, man, you'll dominate. And I'm like, you know you know, sophomore, I'm like, yeah, dominate, come on, I'm going to crush the, com- you know, competition, I'm like, yes, I will do that, I, and I can tell you exactly where I was, I remember exactly the conversation that I was having with these coaches, they were even saying, hey, the head coach is going to start weightlifting with you and training you personally, and I'm like, yeah, and all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me, he said, don't do it, the Lord said, hey, I want you, I want you to play football, he said, if you run cross-country, you're going to hurt your knee, which makes no sense because, you know, football is like the most injury-filled sports there is, uh, the most knee injury-sported events there is. Cross-country is like the least knee injury-filled sport there probably in some ways is. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it, I was like, that, that makes no sense, God. He's like, no, do it. I said, and I, you know what, I was just afraid of, of losing what I was aspiring to. I was afraid of trusting God. I was afraid of, of telling the coaches no and saying, God's told me to play football, like some kind of wacky guy. You know, like, I was just, I was afraid, and I, and I scattered from my shepherd, from letting him lead me in that moment. And I said, no, God, I'm doing this their way. They're telling me exactly what I want to hear. You're telling me something I don't want to hear. I'm going to follow them. And sure enough, I started running cross-country in the summer. The coaches were real excited about me. Oh, yeah. Good. All of a sudden, I had this twinge in my, in my knee. And the Lord told me which knee it was going to be. I said, yes, it's going to be your right knee. 
I'm like, okay, well, sure enough. All of a sudden, I had this twinge, just this little aggravation, no big deal. Ice it a little bit, whatever. It'll be fine tomorrow. And I got worse the next day. And the day after that got worse. And the day after that, I couldn't even run. And so I was swimming at the, at the school pool trying to keep in shape. And I was like, what is going on? We went to a doctor locally, and, you know, they didn't know what was going on. But I couldn't run anymore. And all of a sudden, I was like, God, what is, what is happening? And all of a sudden, I went... I, after like two weeks, and I couldn't run, and they didn't know what was going on. The coaches thought it would just get better, and it never was. I went to a doctor over in the bigger city near where I grew up, and I remember the specialist talking to me, and I, and I quote, he said, Nate, this is only because you've been running long distances on hard asphalt this ever became a problem. But you have a slight kneecap birth defect is slightly turned to the side and because you've been running long distances on hard asphalt you've been grinding at the tissue on the side of your kneecap it's grinding the tendons now and we may have to do surgery you're definitely out for the season you can't do anything and all of a sudden running 50 yard sprints on soft turf sounded like a good idea but but i i walked away from the lord's guiding in my life right what are those things what are those things that that fill us with fear and and yet, God, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he takes everything, the good and the bad. Because I know everybody here is like, hey, I've got stuff. I've got things where I have failed. I have fallen short. I have rejected God or other things that have gone on in my life. But the beautiful thing is God is a God of redemption. And he's a God who is constantly, he's a good shepherd. And he's constantly trying to find those sheep he talks about the 99 he leaves to go find the one that's scattered, that ran, that's lost, that got away. And he's pursuing you, and he's pursuing you in that, in that context. E. Stanley Jones was this missionary in India, and he was this famous guy. He, he wrote this book called With Christ and Human Suffering. And to paraphrase badly, but to summarize his book, he basically says, only in Christianity can you both, can you say, one, God is good, two, the world is not, Three, God can use you despite that. But also four, that God can actually use the evil that's happened in your life for your redemption. The New Testament says God uses all things for the good of those who love him. Jesus is you know, on the cross letting humans kill God and using it as the redemption of those same humans using the evil in the world to redeem us, that there is nothing that you have done that God cannot use for your redemption. To say that is to say you are greater than God because God's saying I'm greater than the evil in your life, whatever's happened to you or through you. But are you going to lean into him? Are you going to press into him? Are you going to let the things in your life scatter you? All right. Third, the shepherd versus the hired hands. The hired hands, they're good. They're helping out. They're taking care of the sheep. But but let me ask this. Is there anyone in your life that if they failed you would ruin your faith? Is there a pastor? Is there a director? Is there a staff person, a small group leader, a friend? Is there someone in your life that you said if they fell short, if they failed, if they came up wanting, your faith would be shaken, it would be rocked, you don't know what you would do? If that's the case, you're following after the guys that are helping out, the girls that are helping the good shepherd, but you are not pressing in to the good shepherd. Are you pressing in past those people? 
past. Paul says it this way. Paul, the great apostle, he says, follow me, Timothy, as I follow Christ, which is a really interesting way. He's just, he's saying, hey, I'm further along than you. I can help you, but I'm following him too. We're journeying together, that we're going together, that we're following after the same shepherd, which is why in the New Testament, it's really interesting, there is no rabbi in the New Testament. See, Jesus, Jesus comes, and he's the rabbi. He comes, and he teaches. But a rabbi would have disciples who would then become rabbis. What's interesting in the New Testament is we never see a rabbi after Jesus. Because what Paul is saying is, hey, he's still the rabbi. And even as I'm a leader, even as I'm following, even as I'm pursuing after him, I'm still, as an apostle, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, I'm still just following him. But, hey, I can help you follow him. But if I get in the way, if you start following me, instead of using me to help you follow him, you've missed the point. And when that failing happens, when that person fails you, because I guarantee you, we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. We're not the rabbi. And we're further along, hopefully, and we can help. But the point isn't to get in the way of Jesus. It's to, it's to help lead to Jesus. And are you following after the rabbi? Are you following after Jesus? For leaders, this is a challenge because, remember, your job is to lead people to Jesus, not to lead people to you. But one of the, one of the attributes, if you're going to follow me as I follow Jesus, one of the attributes of that is sacrifice. We're going to get to that here in a second. But Jesus is contrasting himself from these other guys that were hired hands because Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm the only one in this group. I'm the only one within all of these different people. I'm the only one who actually is out for the sheep's best interest. Because the other guys, like as soon as the cost gets too high, they're out. You know, the thieves and the robbers, they're in it for whatever they can get out of the sheep. The wolves, I mean, come on. Only Jesus is there saying, hey, I care more about the sheep, even than my own life. I'm the only one that's good that way. I'm the only one that you can trust in that way. So leaders, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a leader in people's life, then your calling is to sacrifice like he sacrificed. Your calling is to take responsibility. This is not something, oh, man, I had to... I'm a leader, oh, now I have to sacrifice something too. No, that's actually the calling. That's the identity within, hey, you want, you want to help feed my sheep? He tells Peter, who thinks, yeah, I'm following Jesus for the right reasons. Jesus is like, no, you're not. I'm going to prove it to you. You're going to deny me. But then he immediately comes up to Peter after his resurrection, and he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He restores Peter. And Peter would actually eventually do it. Jesus said, hey, you're going to die for this. The paraphrase. He says, Peter, you're going to die if you feed my sheep, but I want you to do it. Which is an amazing, you know, the health benefits of being a disciple in the first century, right? Like, hey, death, suffering, persecution, disease, you know, like, you know, horrible living conditions. Like, hey, yeah, you, but Jesus says, feed my sheep. This is the calling. To do it, it's going to call you, call you to sacrifice. And he eventually would die. But he lived every day between there and that day already living dead. As soon as somebody came up and said, hey, Peter, I'm going to kill you if you don't stop talking. He's like, oh, you're the one? I've been waiting for you. Right? He's already lived his whole life sacrificed to following the good shepherd. All right. All right. Shepherd versus the sheep. Shepherd versus the sheep. 
Shepherd versus the sheep. Jesus, if Jesus is to be our shepherd, we have to accept a couple of things. One, that we are sheep. <laughs> and let me warn you, it's not a compliment. It's a loving insult. <laughs> it's Jesus saying it's a loving insult. You know, we always try to make ourselves out to be more than, than we, we really are. We always try to make ourselves, that's what pride is. It's trying to make myself more than what I really am. It's sheep, you're a sheep. Jesus said, like, hey, you're a sheep. You need to be led. You need help. You can't do it on your own. You're going to die the moment you get away. We have to recognize we're going to follow Jesus, that we are sheep. Because to follow Jesus is to admit that, that wolves will come and we aren't able to stop it with our own power, that people will fail us and we feel betrayed by God and scattered from any direction. We feel lost because that friendship ended, that criticism, that gossip about you got out. We put our hope in things in this world and it feels like death, like what I hoped in is stealing the life right out of me, that, that we are sheep, that we, if we try to be something else, if we try to be more, we are gonna be disillusioned and lost and confused when why can't I get past this? I remember when I was a kid, Growing up, my, my parents uh, got this lamb uh, that didn't have a mother. And so, you know, little kids, we called it Lambsy. And, and Lambsy was, we, it, it lived in the little fields um, with a bunch of other calves that also didn't have mothers. And we had a big ranch. And so we always had a few calves that didn't have mothers. And so, they, and so we call those bummer calves because... Bummer, you don't have a mom. Sorry. Yeah, but we call that's the way we call them. You call them bummer calves. But you had my job as as a kid, my job and my siblings' jobs was was twice a day we would feed these these bummer calves. And then we got this little lamb. Well, this little lamb just hung out with these with these cattle all day, every day in this field. And so it literally thought it was a cow. And in fact, at one point, we, it got old enough, we, we put it in a pen with other sheep in another flock, and we lost it. We lost it for like a week. We didn't know where it went. It ran away. We found it about a week later. It was down, down the road at, at another rancher that had cattle in the field, and it was in there with a bunch of full-grown Angus cows. It thought it was a cow. But the problem was is the cows actually heard it because it was not a cow. It was trying to nuzzle up sleep up against all these cows that actually hurt it. We, if we pretend that we're something we're not, we're going to get hurt. We have to recognize, first off, we're sheep, but we have a good shepherd, and we're following someone that loves us. The second one is sheep. The sheep's job is to follow the shepherd. Sheep aren't partially following and partially independent, right? Jesus is talking that even in their freedoms, they're following the shepherds, that even in, even in their freedoms, they're simply following where the shepherd has led them as a good shepherd to where life is and where th- goodness is. I think this quote's really interesting. Andrew Murray, both in humility and in absolute surrender, makes this comment. He says, humility is the path to death because in death it gives the highest proof of its perfection. Humility is the blossom of which death to self is the perfect fruit. Jesus humbled himself unto death and opened the path in which we too must walk, as there was no way for him to prove his surrender to God to the very utmost, or to give up and rise out of our human nature to, be, to the glory of the Father, but through death. 
So with us too, humility must lead us to die to self. So we prove how holy we have given ourselves up to it and to God. So alone we are freed from fallen nature and find the path that leads to life in God, that full birth of the new nature of which humility is the breath and the joy. And so, so the point that Andrew Murray is getting at that I'm trying to just get out here is that, it, that in humility we have to recognize, hey, I'm just a sheep, but I'm following my shepherd. But it's through following that I'm going to find that life. It requires me to humble myself to say, God, I recognize who I am and who you are, and there's a big difference. And you're better, you're more good, you're more loving, you're more true, you're more authentic. As last week, Jen talked about, if Jesus is God, then he is the one who knows you better than even you know yourself. So who better to know what's right or wrong for you? But if he's good, if as the Trinity would say, if he's a relational God, then not only is he most knowledgeable, but he is the most loving so if you had the most knowledgeable, loving person saying, hey, I want to lead you, let me tell you, you're not the most loving, knowledgeable person about yourself. You're not. You hate yourself sometimes. And you're, not, and you're like, why did I do that? How often have you said that to yourself? Why did I do that? Because you don't know yourself that well, and you're not that good to yourself. But Jesus is, and if you would follow him, he's saying, hey, I'm good. I love you and I know you that well, but you have to follow. It requires you to follow. All right, we're getting down here. The sheep are valuable to the shepherd. That's just the last thought. To recognize the sheep versus the shepherd. The sheep are valuable to the shepherds. It's interesting, you know, commentators make notes like with for a shepherd, you don't you don't have like money in some bank, you know, and then you have sheep. You you just your sheep are your rewards. They are your wealth. They are your, what you value. And where do you find validation? Because Jesus is saying, I, I named you. If you'd only take hold of it, I'm, I validate you. I value you. The creator of the universe is saying, I know you personally. And I want to have that relationship with you. Because he's inviting you to know him. He says, hey, my sheep know my name. It's a very intimate statement. Like, I don't even have to, like, force the sheep to do what they don't want to do, right? He's saying, hey, I just have to call to them. And the context seems to be that there was what they would sometimes at that time kind of call, like, like group uh, gates or group fences where they would just put a bunch of sheep into, like, this pasture. And then the shepherds would have to get their sheep out. But at that time, it would work that way because the sheep would know their shepherd's name. And so they would just holler and they would know their sheep. And they would take their sheep out of the pasture. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you're valuable to me. I named you. I love you. I want to lead you to life abundant, but would you follow me? Everybody else in the story is about what they can get out of the sheep. Only the one, only Jesus is saying, hey, I love you. I love you. So much so I'm willing to die for you. Timothy Keller makes this statement says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And so the question is, is do you look to Jesus for your validation? Because he's looking at you 
as the most valuable thing, even more valuable than his own life. That he would die, that you might live. That he would lay down his life for the sheep. And actually that word, it's, it's something that we don't catch in the English, but when it says for, he lays down his life for the sheep. That word for, and I'm probably butchering the original you know, Greek here, but it's hooper. And it's, it's interesting, commentators have made notes, it's a very interesting word used there because it's, it's not just kind of like thrown in there, it's very deliberate. It's, it's a word that means in place of, instead of, in, in to, to take the one's place, to take a place of something else. For the sheep, he's literally saying, you know, the funny thing is, is the sheep, the sheep, their, their lives always ended in death. Their lives always ended in death. Like whether they lived for a while, had a few lambs and then and then went to slaughter, or whether they were like the yearling for like the sacrifice, like either case, whatever happened, eventually it, a shepherd would have seen it as a loss of value if if their if their sheep just died of natural causes. No sheep lasted to natural death. They they were taken to the slaughter. But Jesus here, he's saying, actually, I'm gonna go to the slaughter. I'm going to take their place, that they would have life, to the abundance, to overflowing. And this is where he contrasts himself from just the natural state of shepherds and sheep. He's saying, I'm, even, I'm better than that. I am the good shepherd. And your life, those things that you have looked to and turned to and fought for and thought was your life and thought was where you find hope and purpose and life abundant, even though it's fallen short or if you haven't realized at some point you are going to realize is not enough. And Jesus is saying, I am that. I am that place. I am good. If you have to follow me, because I can't lead you if you won't follow. But I'm not demanding. I'm not one of those shepherds making you go where you don't want to go. I'm just calling but will you respond in that major, in that relationship, in that, in that career path, in that just way that you live your life? That Jesus is saying, hey, I am, essentially he's defining the idea sometimes we call lordship. It's this idea that, hey, I, I am the king. If you want to follow me, you're sheep, but I'm good. If you would let me lead you, your life, you would find the life that you've always been striving for in your own strength. That you just don't know yourself, you're just not good enough to even find without me. Worship team could come up and we're gonna go back into worship, but as we close, would you find your validation in Jesus today? Will you find it in him? Doesn't mean that there aren't challenges. Doesn't mean that you don't have to go to the library after this. Doesn't mean that you don't have to wake up early tomorrow morning to get to work. Doesn't mean that life doesn't keep coming at you. But it means in it, through it, with it all, he, he transforms it, makes it, turns it into good for you and leads you to a place of life abundant. In Revelation 5, 11, I think John, later in his life, at the end of his life, after writing the Gospel of John, he, he would write in Revelation 5, he sees this vision of heaven. I think it's just a great one for us to close. You guys can go ahead and stand up. But just listen to this and understand he was the shepherd. He was the good shepherd. You are the sheep. 
but he became a sheep so that you could have the life that the shepherd should have had. And John, in his revelation in chapter five, he says, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000s times 10,000s. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to whom, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Four living creatures said, amen. The elders fell down and worshiped. If all the angels in heaven, if the elders before the throne of God, if their response before the lamb that was slain is worthy, 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 if they fall at their faces saying you are so worthy, who are we, sheep, in such arrogance to say, God, I'm good. I got this. I don't need you. He gives you that choice. But just recognize the choice that you have. You'll let him lead you. Go into worship. I just have a feeling that there's some people in here that, um, in here, out here, just in this moment which which admit in their hearts there's something that the Holy Spirit is tugging on them about. And he's saying, hey, would you let me lead you in that place? Would you let me lead you in that way? Would you let me not just be following sometimes and other times not? Others, I think, you've never let him lead you and you're recognizing you need, you need a Savior. But you don't need just that. You need a shepherd. If that's just if that's just you tonight, I just encourage you as we're just playing this song, and I'm just going to ask them to play this one more time. But first thing is just take this moment, just you and your shepherd, you and your Savior, you and the Lord of all reality. Again, we don't make Jesus Lord of our lives. We just come to acknowledge and stop living a lie. I'm not... I'm a sheep. I'm not more than that, but my Savior loves me. And wherever you're at, just in this moment between you and him, I just want you to take this moment and just maybe raise your hands or put your hands out and say, God, I surrender. An act of surrender to say, you know, if you're in that place. And second, I just want to invite you that this week, sometime, whether in a small group meeting or with, you know, hanging out with your cohorts, some share because our faith is not private. You didn't get that, hanging out in the middle of the lawn, middle of Wednesday night here. We're not, not private. But take this moment and surrender to the Lord and then share it because, you know, the sheep, we, I think it's interesting that the curse was scattering of the sheep that, that we need each other as we follow, that we're stronger together, that we, that we follow our Savior together need each other. So just share what the Lord is doing in your hearts.
maybe it's completely different than anything I've said tonight, but I just sense the Holy Spirit is is speaking to people tonight. There are things that He is ministering in this moment. I just want to challenge, let this be a moment. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him be the Savior that He wants to be, the Lord that He wants to be, because you said, all right, God, I'm not good enough, and I am not knowledgeable enough, but you are, and I trust you more than I trust me, and so I just give I surrender. Lead on. If that's you, as we just go into this song one more time, would you just open your hands and say, God, I surrender. God, I'm not enough. Not enough for my wife, for my kids, for my life, for your calling on my life. to scatter or tempts us to be drawn in, whether from fear or from temptation, Lord, that you are the true way to life, Lord, hold, may we hold the line, may we hold firm, may we press into you, God, God, we can't even do that without you, God, help us, we need you, we thank you that you are good. We thank you, Lord, that we're not convincing you to lead us in our own lives, but you are compelling us to follow where you are already trying to lead. So, Lord, help us to follow. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. Because you're worthy and you're worth it. We love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people say,